Chapter Eleven of the Lust of Hate by Guy Newell Boothby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven: A Terrible Surprise. Nearly a week had elapsed since I had made my confession to Agnes at the Falls, and in three days it was Mister Maybourne's intention to set out on his return journey to the south. During the whole of that period, not one word had been said by Miss Maybourne regarding my story. But if she did not refer to it in speech, it was easy to see that the subject was never absent from her mind. On two occasions, I heard her father question her as to the reason of her quietness, and I saw that each time she found it a more difficult task to invent a satisfactory reply. What this meant to me, you will readily understand. I could not sleep at night for thinking of it. Not once but a thousand times I bitterly regretted having burdened her mind with my unhappy secret. Two afternoons prior to our guest's departure, I was sitting in my veranda reading the letters which had been brought to the mine by the mailman at midday. Mr. Maybourne was sitting near to me, also deep in his correspondence, while his daughter had gone to her own room for the same purpose. When I came to the end of my last epistle, I sat with it in my hand, looking out across the veldt thinking of all that had happened since i had said good-bye to old england from one thing my thoughts turned to another i thought of my wandering life in australia of poor old ben garman of markapurli and last of all of bartrand the memory of my hatred for him brought me home again to london and i saw myself meeting nicola in the strand and then accompanying him home to his extraordinary abode as i pictured him seated in his armchair in that oddly furnished room, all my old horror of him flashed back upon me. I seemed to feel the fascination of his eyes, just as I had done that night when we visited that murderous cab in the room below. While I was thinking of him, I heard a footstep on the path that led round the house. Presently McKinnon appeared before me. He beckoned with his hand, and understanding that he desired to speak to me, I rose from my chair and went out to him. What is it? I inquired as I approached him, for at that hour he was generally in the depths of the mine. Has anything gone wrong? That's as ye care to take my words or no, he answered, wheeling about and leading me out of earshot of the house. There was something in his manner that frightened me, though I could not for the life of me have said why. When we reached the fence that separated my garden from the open veldt, I stopped and, leaning on the rails once more, asked him why he had called me out. I told ye a fortnight ago that there was trouble brewing for us with the natives, he said impressively. I warned ye a week ago, t'was no better. Now I tell ye it's close upon us, and if you're not prepared, God help us all. What do you mean? Don't speak in enigmas, man. Tell me straight out what you're driving at. Isn't that what I'm trying to do, he said. I will tell ye the whole country's in a ferment. The Matabili are out, and in a few hours, if not before, we shall have proof. Good God, man, I cried, how do you know this? And why did you not make me see the importance of it before? You can lead a horse to water, but you can he make him drink, says the proverb, he answered. You can tell a man of danger, but you can he make him see it. So twas with ye. I told you my suspicions a fortnight past, but it was only this minute that I came to know how bad it really was. And how have you come to hear of it now? Step this way and I'll show ye. He led me into a small hut near the kitchen. On reaching it, he opened it and showed me a man stretched out upon a bed of sacks and grass. He was a white man and seemed utterly exhausted. 
this man's name said mckinnon as if he were exhibiting some human curiosity is andrews he's a prospector and we've been acquainted for years now tell your yarn andrews and let mr rexford here see how bad the matter is not much to tell sir said the man addressed sitting up as he spoke came about like this i'm a prospector when i was out away back on the river there never dreaming there was mischief in the wind then my boys began to drop hints that there was likely to be trouble and i'd best keep my weather eye open first i didn't believe them when i got back to camp at midday and found both my servants murdered my bullocks killed and my rifles and everything else of value stolen i guessed who had done it fortunately they had passed on without waiting for me so i got into the saddle again and came here at post haste to warn you i tell you this the matabili are rising the impi that murdered my men is under one of the king's sons and by this time they are not twenty miles distant from this spot there can be no doubt that they are travelling this way from what my boys told me bulawayo is surrounded while three more impis are travelling night and day with the same object as the one i now warn you of namely to cut off the advance of the troops being pushed forward to oppose them from the south do you mean this on your oath are you telling me the truth god strike me dead if i'm not he answered solemnly look at me sir i've made my way in here as hard as a man could come riding for his life that should be proof enough but if it isn't mr mckinnon here will speak for me i'm sure that i will said mckinnon i've known you long enough and always found you a straightforward man i stood for a few moments deep in thought how far do you think they are away from us at this present moment not more than twenty miles at most sir i left my camp on the river about midday and i've been here about a quarter of an hour i came in as hard as i could ride say five hours riding at twelve miles an hour making a big detour of about twenty miles to avoid them i should make it between fifteen and twenty miles away now if they did five miles an hour straight across country and you're sure they mean war there's not a doubt of it sir i know the vermin too well by this time not to be certain of that well, i must tell mr maybourne at once come with me mckinnon and you too andrews if you can manage it you must hold a council of war and see what's best to be done i led them across the small paddock to my office and then i went out onto the house in search of my employer i found him pacing up and down the veranda looking rather disturbed rexford my dear fellow he began on seeing me i've been looking for you i want a few moments in earnest conversation with you and i am with you sir i answered he led me beyond the veranda before he spoke again you must hear me first what i want to see you about is as important as life and death to us all i have received a number of letters by the mail and one and all warn me that there is likely to be trouble with the matabili the chartered company have seen it coming i am told and are taking all the necessary steps to secure life and property but there is no knowing when the brutes may not be on us and what they may not do if they start with the upper hand now you see if i were alone i should have no hesitation in remaining to see it out there is agnes to consider and with a woman in the question one has to think twice before one ventures upon such a course that is the very thing i came over to see you about sir serious news has just reached me and well to tell you the truth we're in danger now this very minute if you will step over to my office i have a man there who's seen the enemy within forty miles of this place and he tells me they are advancing in our direction even now his face for an instant became deadly pale while i noticed that he glanced anxiously at the sitting-room door steady rexford for heaven's sake he said not too loud or agnes will hear 
you mustn't frighten her before we're absolutely obliged come to the office and let me see this man for myself together we walked over to my den where mckinnon and andrews were waiting us mr maybourne nodded to the former and then looked searchingly at the latter i'm told you've seen the matabele under arms today he began coming straight to the point as was characteristic of him my servants were killed by them and my camp was looted about forty miles from this office replied andrews meeting mr maybourne's glance without flinching at what number should you estimate them roughly speaking from what i saw of them from a hill nearly a mile distant i should say they were probably two thousand strong they're in full war dress and from what my servants had hinted they mean that morning i've gathered that they are led by one of the king's sons you have no doubt in your mind that they are coming this way i don't think it's a shadow of doubt about it sir they're probably trying to effect a junction with another impi and then they'll be ready to receive any troops that may come up against them from the south there's something in that said mr maybourne reflectively and now i'm going to ask you the most important question of all gentlemen that is what's to be done if we abandon this place the mine and all the buildings will be wrecked for certain at best we can only reach the township where we can certainly go into lager but in my opinion we shall even be worse off there than we are here what do you say there could not be any doubt about the matter in my opinion in the township we should certainly be able to make up a larger force but our defences could not be made so perfect while to abandon the mine was an act for which none of us were prepared very well then continued mr maybourne when he had heard we agreed with him in that case the best thing we can do is to form a lager here and prepare to hold out until the troops that i have been told are on their way up can rescue us how we offer arms and ammunition rexford i will show you i said and forthwith led the way through the office into a smaller room at the back here i pointed to an arm rack in which twenty-two winchester repeating rifles a couple of martini henry's and about thirty cutlasses were arranged how many men capable of firing a decent shot can we muster asked mr maybourne when he had over all the weapons nineteen white men including ourselves and about half a dozen natives and how much ammunition have we i can tell you in a moment i answered taking up a book from the table and consulting it here it is two thousand cartridges for the repeating rifles two hundred for the martinis and a thousand for the six revolvers i have in this drawer a good supply and i congratulate you on it now let us get to work ring the bell mr mckinnon and call all the hands up to the house i'll talk to them and when i've explained our position we'll get to work on the lager ten minutes later every man had been informed of his danger and was taking his share of work upon the barricades wagons cases sacks of flour sheets of iron everything in fact which would be likely to give shelter to ourselves and resistance to the enemy was pressed into our service while all that would be likely to afford cover to the enemy for a hundred yards or so around the house was destroyed every tank that could be utilized was carried to the house and filled with water the cattle were driven in and when small earthworks had been thrown up and the stores had been stacked in a safe place we felt we might consider ourselves prepared for a siege by nightfall we were ready and waiting for the appearance of our foe sentries were posted and in order that the township might be apprised of its danger and also that the troops who were hourly expected as mr maybourne had informed us might know of our peril a man was dispatched on a fast horse with a letter to the inhabitants having accompanied mr maybourne round the square and assured myself that our defences were as perfect as the limited means at our disposal would permit 
our store of arms was brought from the office and the distribution commenced a winchester repeating rifle and a hundred cartridges a cutlass and a revolver were issued to each white man and after they were supplied the native boys were called up to our astonishment and momentary dismay only one put in an appearance the rest had decamped doubtless considering discretion the better part of valour when however we saw the stuff of which they were made this did not trouble us very much as soon as every man had received his weapons and had his post and his duties pointed out to him mr maybourne and i left them to their own devices and went up to the house the former had told his daughter of our danger and for this reason i was prepared to find her if not terrified at least showing some alarm but to my amazement i discovered her hard at work preparing a meal for the garrison just as calmly and quietly if nothing out of the common were occurring she greeted me with a smile and showed me her puddings boiling on the fire and pointed to a number of buckets which stood about the veranda these were filled with some peculiar looking fluid and i inquired what it might be in answer i was told that it was oatmeal and water and if we are to fight said this daughter of war you will find it thirsty work i shall put these buckets with the mugs at convenient places so that you may assuage your thirst if occasion serves i also noticed that she had prepared a large quantity of lint in case it should be required and had arranged a number of mattresses in the veranda her courage put fresh heart into me and without doubt it did into everyone else who saw her i told her that she was braver than the boldest man amongst us she thereupon showed that she still had sufficient of the woman left in her to blush with pleasure at the compliment if the enemy were only forty miles away at midday said mr maybourne as we carried the men's tea out into the open to them they ought to be close at hand now when we've done our meal we'll post extra sentries although i do not for a moment expect they'll attack us in the dark it would never do to allow ourselves to be surprised i agreed with him and accordingly as soon as our tea was finished men were placed not only at the four corners of the lager but at equal distances between them the remainder lay down to rest wherever they could make themselves most comfortable i find myself about the only exception to the rule and do what i would i could not sleep having tried for an hour and a half and found it still impossible i went across to the veranda and sat down in one of the cane chairs there i had not been there many moments before i was joined by agnes who seated herself beside me i reproved her for not resting after her labours of the day I could not sleep she answered brave as you call me i am far too nervous to rest you really think the enemy will attack us in the morning not knowing their plans i cannot say i replied but i must confess it looks terribly like it in that case i want you to promise me something gilbert what is it i ask you know there is nothing i would not do for you agnes what am i to promise that if we are overpowered you will not let me fall into their hands alive you may think of me as a coward but i dread that more than any thought of death hush oh, you must not talk like that have no fear we will not let you fall into their hands you know there is not a man upon the mine who will not give his life for you she leaned forward and looked into my face i know you would protect me would you not wait and see the man who touches you agnes will have to do it over my dead body do you know that to-night for some reason or other i feel more superstitious than i have ever done before i can't rid myself of the thought that i am near the one vital crisis of my life what do you mean gilbert you frighten me i cannot tell you what i mean for i don't know myself i think i'm what the scotch call fay i have prayed to god for you she said 
he who has protected us before will do so again let us do our duty and leave the rest to him amen to that i answered solemnly then with a whispered good night she got up and went into the house again hour after hour i sat on the veranda as much unable to sleep as i had been at the beginning at intervals i made a circuit of the sentries and convinced myself that no man was sleeping at his post for the greater part of the time i sat staring at the winking stars though i searched the open space outside the lager over and over again not a sign of the enemy could i discover if they were there they must have been keeping wonderfully quiet the sighing of the breeze in the long veldt grass was the only sound i could distinguish i heard the clock in the house behind me strike one two and then three by the time the last hour sounded it was beginning to grow light from where i sat on the veranda i could just discern the shadowy outlines of the wagons and distinguish the figures of the sentries as they paced to and throw at their posts thinking it was time to be astir i rose from my chair and went into the house to help agnes by lighting the fire for her and putting the kettles on to boil i had just laid the sticks was about to set match to them when a shot rang out on the northern side of the lager it was immediately followed by another from the south i waited to hear no more but snatched up my rifle from the table and ran out into the open before i had crossed the veranda shots were being fired in all directions on reaching my post i discovered a black crowd advancing at a run towards us steady men steady i heard mr maybourne shout as he took up his station don't lose your heads whatever you do keep under cover and don't fire till you're certain your shot will tell these words were hardly out of his mouth before the enemy were upon us brandishing their assegais and shields and yelling in a manner that would have chilled the blood of the oldest veteran it was the first time i had ever fired a shot at my fellow man and for the moment i will confess to feeling afraid however that soon passed and i found myself taking aim and firing as coolly as the best of them though i was hardly conscious that i had pulled the trigger i saw the man directly in front of me a fine tall fellow with a nodding headdress of feathers suddenly throw up his arms and fall forward on his face tearing the ground with his hands in his death agony but i was not able to do more than glance at him before two others were upon me this time i fired with more deliberation than before with the result that both went down one after the other like nine pins then for what seemed a year but must in reality have been about three minutes i continued to fire depressing the finger lever between each shot and tipping out the empty cartridge with automatic regularity in front of my defences a ghastly pile of bodies was fast accumulating and by craning my neck to right and left i could discern similar heaps before the shelters of my next-door neighbours the desire to ascertain how my friends were getting on was however nearly my undoing for if i had been more intent upon my own concerns i should have seen a man wriggling along on the ground towards me just however as he was about to hurl his assegai i caught sight of him and brought my rifle to the shoulder seeing this he rose to his feet with a jump and hurled his spear i dodged with the quickness of lightning and heard it strike the tire of the wheel behind me at the same instant i covered him and pulled the trigger to my horror the rifle did not go off i had fired my nine shots and the magazine was empty but my wits did not desert me for long before the savage had time to clamber onto the wheel and raise his knob carry i was within striking distance and swinging my rifle by the barrel high into the air brought the butt down upon his head with a crash that might have been heard yards away it crushed in his skull like an eggshell 
and he fell like a log and never moved again as he went down a sudden peace descended upon the field and for a moment or two every man wondered what had happened the smoke quickly cleared away and when it did we saw that the foe had retired i accordingly clambered back to my old position and looked about me my throat was like a lime kiln and my eyes were dry as dust but i was not going to take any refreshment though a bucket stood quite close to me until i had refilled my rifle this done i crossed to the bucket filled the mug and drank its contents with a relish such as i had never known in my life before when i handed it to another man i turned about and endeavoured to take stock of our company from where i stood i could see two men stretched out upon the ground the one nearest me i knew instantly it was mckinnon and a single glance was sufficient to tell me that he was dead the other i could not for the moment identify mr maybourne i was relieved to see was unhurt save for a wound on his left hand which he explained he had received in a hand-to-hand -hand encounter in his corner we've taught the brutes a lesson in all conscience he said i don't fancy they'll be as eager next time how many men have we lost in order to find out we walked quickly round our defences encouraging the garrison as we went and bidding them replenish the magazines of their rifles while they had the chance on the other side of the house we discovered agnes busily engaged binding up the wounds of those who had been hurt she was deadly pale but her bravery was not a bit diminished when we got back to our own quarters we had counted three dead men two placed hors de combat by their wounds and five more or less cut and scratched our enemy we estimated at least a hundred had fallen before our rifles never to rise again for something like half an hour we stood at our posts waiting to be attacked but the foe showed no sign of moving i was just wondering what the next move would be when i heard a shout from the right i gripped my rifle and peered ahead of me but there was nothing to be seen save the foe crouching behind the shelters in the distance what is it i cried to my right-hand neighbour what do they see a horseman he replied and coming in our direction is he mad i cried or doesn't he see his danger my informant did not reply a moment later i saw for myself the person referred to he was mounted on a grey horse and was riding as fast as his animal could travel in our direction i turned my eyes away from him for a moment when i looked again i saw a man rise from behind a bush and hurl a spear at him the cruel weapon was thrown with unerring aim and struck the horse just behind the saddle he leapt into the air and there was a scream of agony that could be heard quite plainly where we all stood dashed frantically towards us he had not however gone a hundred yards before he put his foot into a hole and fell with a crash to the ground to lie there motionless his neck was broken so we discovered later from where i stood to the place where the man and beast lay was scarcely eighty yards thence on to the spot where the enemy were in ambush not more than a hundred for some reason why i shall never be able to explain an irresistible desire to save the injured man came over me i could not have resisted it even had i wished to do so accordingly i placed my rifle against the axle sprang upon the box of the wagon wheel vaulted over and ran as hard as i could towards the victim of the accident ahead of me i could distinctly see the nodding plumes of the foe as they crouched behind their enormous shields they did not however move and i was thus enabled to reach the man's side and to take him in my arms unmolested I had not got ten yards on my return journey, however, before I heard their yells and knew that they were after me. 
fortunately i had nearly a hundred and twenty yards start but i had a heavy man to carry and was quite out of breath however i was not going to be beaten so putting out every ounce of strength i boasted in my body i raced on by the time i reached the wagons again the foe were not fifty yards behind me a couple of assegais whistled past my ears as i climbed over the wheel and dropped my burden on the ground but fortunately neither hit me so exhausted was i for a moment i leant against the wagon unable to move but the instinct of self-preservation gave me strength and picking up my rifle i let drive blindly at the nearest of the foe who was already on the wheel before me i saw the man's forehead open out like a cracked walnut as my shot caught it a moment later he fell forward on the tyre dead i threw him off in time to shoot the next man as he took his place for the following five minutes my only recollection is a sense of overpowering heat a throat and a mouth parched like the sands of the great sahara a rifle growing every moment hotter in my hand and dominating all the necessity of stemming at any cost the crowd of black humanity that seemed to be overwhelming me how long the fight lasted i cannot say but at last a cheer from the other side of the lager reached me and at almost the same instant the enemy turned tail and fled for their lives then with an empty rifle at my feet a dripping cutlass in one hand and a still smoking revolver in the other i leaned against the wagon and laughed hysterically till i fell fainting to the ground End of chapter 11